with a smartphone. So we just turn your camera lens and your flash into a PPG reader. So it's able to see the blood flow in your fingertips, is able to know what your heart rate is, but more importantly enough, is able to know what your heart rate variability is. It does the calculations and then it, it both gives it back to the individual, but then also sends it back to the server where then you see it from the, from the dashboard as well. So it's photopathismography. Hi, I'm Naomi Murphy, and this is the Locked Up Living podcast, where we talk with a wide range of people about harsh aspects of institutional life. We also explore some of the ways to overcome them and to grow and develop. I'm David Jones. So join us every Wednesday morning, six o'clock UK time, for a fresh podcast. Today's guest is Lex Overway, who's a former physiologist and founder of a tech startup that used different ways to model physical stress. During the difficult period of shutting down the startup, he became clinically depressed and developed generalised anxiety disorder. After receiving help, Lex became fascinated with heart rate variability, psychophysiology and technology. He's currently working with UEL, University of East London, sorry, to explore the use of HRV and emotional regulation. Really pleased you could join us today, Lex. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm actually really happy to be here. Hi, Lex. It's really nice to meet you, and thanks for coming along here today. No worries at all. I'm looking forward to this. Good. So tell us something about yourself. After graduation, you started to launch a, a technology startup. Why did you yep. follow that path rather than going down the conventional career pathway? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So um, in, in truth, I think circumstances played a huge part to that as well. So um, at the time, I was working on my master's and this, or at least my previous startup, was born out of my master's thesis. But at the same time, I was a sports scientist or physiologist for a Premier League football club, West Ham United, for any West Ham fans out there. And um, but this were perilous, perilous times. They did get relegated as well. I was also a lecturer at the time, but this was literally just after the economic crisis and the recession. So um, it was in a combination whereby I lost my teaching job, and uh, and at the same time West Ham got relegated, so cuts had to be made. And unfortunately, I was one of those that didn't make the cuts. And so at that time, I had this thesis. I'd been working on this like baseline technology, and I had I'd received lots of feedback, positive feedback from West Ham, in regards to turning it into a business. And in truth, I wasn't really keen. Just as you said, I was more focused on my career pathway rather than going down the entrepreneurial route. Even though I would say I always kind of had those kind of well, let not say qualities, but bit like behaviors within me. And I was always aligned to go down that route, but the circumstances forced me to decide, actually, well, I'm in a situation where, right now where I've lost my lecturing gig, I lost my sports scientist and physiologist role within West Ham, that, well, if there's any time to do it, now is the time to do so. And maybe this one needs to be done for me to get through this economic crisis. So yeah, that's what spurred me into the startup. And um, I mean, it started off by winning a few like awards. I, I think I won an award for the European Space Agency, which was like a big validation for my side of things as well. And we won quite a few European awards and UK awards as well. And then that just kind of gave me more of more 
of our confidence to actually pursue this further and turn it into an actual startup. So, so what were the awards for, Lex? So, say that again. What were the awards for? Oh, what were the awards for? So, I mean, there were different sorts, but there were, um, numerous business awards. So, uh, so for instance, the European Space Agency one was part of a. It was to do with a geospatial competition, and I remember just opening up like Metro newspaper one morning and seeing it. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Maybe we should apply for it. And we did. And then when I'm going through the process of winning that, and then we became part of the European Space Agency's business incubation program as well. And, and there was a few others that were entered. And a lot of these came with um, grants as well. And these grants were then used to help fund the development of the product and the business at the early stage. I'm really impressed, though, by the idea of turning to entrepreneurship as a way to manage kind of like immediate crisis, because actually it's very easy to get kind of like down in the dumps and stick with trying to trying to get a job through the conventional route. And I know myself when I first graduated, yeah. found it really difficult to get a job and ended up, you know, picking items in an Argus warehouse, which <laughs> was so demoralising yeah. um, and actually having the wherewithal to think about how could I create a business opportunity from these circumstances i think so yeah. about your resilience thank you thank you thank you i think ultimately it just comes down to and i think we all kind of want to have a level of control of our destiny no one wants to feel that we're just rudderless in a river or in a sea somewhere and it's only the environment around us that shapes our our fortune our destiny we want to take control of that and for me it felt like a way of not being a victim of circumstance, but being able to take initiative and taking control of my own destiny and my own life at that moment, which was a difficult moment for me, but also a difficult moment for a lot of people as well. Sounds like it was must have been really challenging because I'm guessing that you were a West Ham fan as well as working for them. <laughs> so for them to be relegated and then to make you redundant must have been, well, it must have felt like a really harsh, painful betrayal. Well, it's, it's funny you say that because I'm actually not a West Ham fan. I'm oh. actually an Arsenal fan. However, there was actually... Uh, Arsenal played a narrative in this as well. So prior to me losing my opportunity, my dream career job was to work at West Ham. I mean, was to work at Arsenal. And then I was initially headhunted to work for Arsenal. And like I said, this was my dream like career, my dream role that I envisioned. And then I got to the final stages and unfortunately I wasn't picked for the role. It's actually funny because this is a memory I completely forgot about. Maybe I maybe need some therapy because I kind of put it in the back of my mind. But I was actually, I remember when I found out that news and I also found out some like personal circumstances within my family as well. And I was literally stuck in the middle of Prague, unable to get back home in a, in a where was I, in a hostel hostel somewhere and had no money to eat. I wasn't even sure how I was even able to come back into the country. Um, in fact, at one point I was sleeping on the airport floor overnight. That was my base to be in just to get out. But I remember saying to myself, and that was like the final push that made me decide, actually, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start my business. And I said to myself, I almost swore to myself that if I can make it back into the country, this is what I was going to focus on. Thankfully, I, I was able to make it back into the country and I tried to stick, well, I did stick to my word and made that my primary focus. It's really interesting the way you describe yeah. how and when you kind of reached a decision, that kind of 
process crystallized in a few hours by the sounds of yeah. it. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was definitely within 24 hours. And that mm. 24 hours was a, I would consider that a pretty key moment in my life in terms of just like trajectory of where I thought my life was going and where my path was going. And then it took me into a completely different, I said a different pathway, which I learned so much. I made new friends, new people, new experiences as well. But it was definitely a, a critical moment in my life. It was sometime in, I think it was around June, definitely in 2010 when that happened. So yeah, I still remember. Mm, yeah. So anyway, your background is in physiology and yes. you've been very focused on heart rate variability, which I think yes. not many people know much about. So what is HRV and how does this impact on our health? The basic context is that it's related to our nervous system. So um, with our nervous system, we also have what's called our autonomous nervous system. So this is responsible for the more subconscious aspect of our body and our well-being. So in regards to your breathing, things that you don't consciously think about, your breathing, your heart rate, for instance, your um, body temperature, your digestion, these are all regulated by the autonomous nervous system, by the ANS system. And within the ANS system, you then have two branches. You have the sympathetic, sympathetic branch, and then you have the parasympathetic branch. And then the reason why these are important is that you start to understand that essentially the sympathetic branch is responsible for the physiological or the biological response to stress. And the ANS is, it's, it receives and responds to stress of different types. So it can be physiological stress, it can be psychological and emotional stress as well. Ultimately, it will always react and respond the same way. So the sympathetic nervous system or the sympathetic branch is responsible for the actions that relate to like flight or, and fight or flight, which is like, it gets you ready, it gets your heart rate going, and it just like activates the hormonal pathways for you to make a decision. Whereas the parasympathetic is essentially the opposite, is the counterbalance, is related to activities that help you be calm, relax, control, recover as well. And ultimately, these are all linked to the heart. And the heart is thus linked to the brain. And one of the ways of being able to measure your ANS and the state and well-being of your ANS is through your heart rate variability. And to understand that is to understand that no one heartbeat or heartbeat rhythm is exactly the same. You might think that every heartbeat rhythm is exactly the same, but it's actually not. There's a slight variance between each heartbeat. And that variance is an indication of what is called parasympathetic activity. And then with that, you can have an idea in terms of which is more, this is a very simplified way of explaining this, but which is more dominant in terms of your baseline behaviors or your baseline states, which is either your sympathetic nervous system or your parasympathetic nervous system. So ultimately, if you assess the variability between each heartbeat, it gives you an idea indication of your ANS state as well. And your ANS is obviously connected to your brain. So it gives you an idea in terms of emotional regulation and how, how you can or how you are coping with stress as well. So I'm not sure I fully understood it. <laughs> so are you saying that this is uh, an individual process? So if you're looking at me, 
you but look I'm always at... working on how I say things and I might not have it right. <laughs> Excuse me, that's some machine in the corner. So... It happens to me all the time. <laughs> so, so if you were looking at me, are you saying that you could look at my uh, HRV and detect something about my state? Or is it something which is comparable? So would you be comparing my HRV with yours or with Naomi's and saying that would be saying something about each of us. I'm not sure if I've explained that. No, yeah, no, I, I, I completely understand your question. It's actually a very good question. So HRV is incredibly individual. So it is individualized. But what you're meant to do is that you're meant to have a level of, you're meant to use it for certain periods. So let's say about 60 days normally. And what it then does is that it gives you a baseline of an individual state of well-being. And then from that baseline, you're able to detect changes from that, whether there's an increase or decrease in heart rate variability. So, I mean, ultimately, in terms of if there's a guideline, it's usually regarded that low heart rate variability is connected with like sympathetic dominance. So it's, um, it's associated with like emotional dysregulation and then and other factors and other types of mental health issues such as like PTSD, stress anxiety as well. Whereas higher HRV scores is indication of greater emotional regulation as well and greater ability to cope with stress. But in terms of, is there like a unified like metric or scale? Not yet, I don't think science is there yet. However, it doesn't need to be. Like I said, it's incredibly individual. So what you're meant to do is you're meant to establish one's own personal baseline. And then from there, any deviations from that baseline gives you an indication of where the individual is going or where the trend is directing you towards. Thank you. That's much clearer, yeah. Are you going to say something, Naomi? Yes, yeah, so, so I was wondering, what if somebody's kind of like living with very high levels of stress all the time? So they're, they're obviously their baseline might not, can you is is there a kind of like a normative range would you be able to tell if somebody is chronically stressed um yeah. from from that that's a good question so there are some research papers that do provide baselines in regards to age and in regards to other variables as well we still so ultimately i always generally recommend to stick with the individual because what happens is and this is why it's so important that hrv is a powerful tool for therapists because ultimately therapists provide a context in knowing what a person's state of well-being is. So for instance, let's say you just, you've got a client who just started with you. So you know where the client is in terms of the state of well-being as it stands. So you see that as a reflection of the HRV. So if you know that the site, like your client has come with you, this, this struggle like, like I do, with anxiety, for instance, you establish what that baseline is. Ultimately, as a therapist, what you want is you want your client to get better. So what you then want to see is, theoretically, that if they are getting better, if they're able to regulate their emotions, if they're able to regulate the anxiety, there should be an increase in the HRV. So ultimately, it's just a case of knowing the context of the individual, and that will allow you to know what the baseline is, and then you're able to see that. So for instance, if you have that same client, and let's say that the HRV is improved over like a three month or six month period. That's great. And it's, it's stable, which is ultimately what you want. But let's say for whatever reason, suddenly you're able to see 
there's a slow decline in the HRV readings over a two-week, three-week, four-week period. Now, you already know who your client is, and you know that's already indicative of whatever issue they had prior, whether there's an increase in sense of stress and anxiety, or whether there's potentially even an episode likely to happen. So what it allows you to then do is that you're able to see the strengths and ultimately you're able to decide what is the next, like what is the intervention that's meant to happen? Do you call them? Do you set up a session? What is it that you're meant to do? But it gives you a context for you to, for you to essentially react and think of an appropriate way to help your clients before the issue becomes, like I said, a, like a bigger issue with the clients. So it sounds like it has the potential to help predict crisis. You know, if you're if you're in a if you're working in a position where risk management is important, it sounds like I'm, I'm not saying it would be a definitive um, answer, but it might offer some clues as to your, your client's mental state and as to how they're coping at the moment. Exactly, exactly. And there's loads of research that actually that backs that up. So there's research that shows that it is great as a biomarker in terms of giving a level of prediction or prevention for your clients as well. But ultimately, as I stated before, it comes down to the therapist and knowing the context of your clients. When you know that context, you're able to know what the trends are indicating and you're able to appropriately decide what to do next before an issue occurs. So it's all about the idea that healthcare is going towards a preventative way of healthcare, being able to engage with your clients before an issue happens, and HRV definitely allows for that. So do you think that HRV is something that organisations should be concerned about in relation to their uh, staff well-being? Definitely, 100%, because um, I mean, it can be used for anyone. So um, you don't have to be someone who has, like, I know previous history in terms of like deeper issues, but it can be used for anyone at all. And uh, ultimately, from a from a occupational well-being perspective, it's a great tool in terms of providing additional level of healthcare and a different uh, a way of being able to establish who is it within your staff that needs to help the most. So, oftentimes, a lot of the services that come with occupational health or with EAP, it ultimately requires the individual to reach out to the EAP providers, which is great in theory, but in practices, the truth is that ultimately, a lot of individuals really don't want to reach out when they're going through those situations. And then you're almost in a case whereby if the person is at that state already, not that it's, um, ideally, you want to be able to try to help individuals before they have to get to that point. And what AHRV can allow you to do is allow you to do that from a healthcare, from an occupational perspective. And it means you're in a situation whereby if someone does need help, but say, for instance, they're not willing or they're not keen for whatever reasons to reach out for that help, you're able to see that information and you're able to say, maybe this person needs help. And you're able to initiate and reach out to them first, which should hopefully lead to a situation where they're able to open up and you're able to provide the appropriate care that they need. Thanks very much. Um... What can we do at an individual level to improve our HRV? Is there anything we can do? Of course. So it's almost everything that we know about in regards to improving our, our health and well-being, our mental well-being as well. So exercise is a great factor. So um, ultimately with HRV is that the mind and the body are one. So if you have a healthier body, ultimately you should have a healthier mind and you should be in a better 
emotional state of well-being. So exercise tends to be a massive mitigating factor in terms of improving one's HRV and health. Um, gut health as well in terms of good dietary habits. Sleep as well is a big factor as well. So you ultimately see these changes um, in terms of HRV on a day-to-day basis. But ultimately what you'll want to see is a level of, I'm trying to see, I want to use the word homeostasis, but that might be too much of a word, but you just want a level of stability in one's life. So when it comes to HRV, it's not necessarily a case of perpetually improving HRV because HRV is also incredibly individual. So what you want to see is not necessarily always an increase in trend because that's not always possible. But what you want to see is stability because stability in the HRV is an indication of stability in one's life. It means stability in terms of emotional health as well, stability in terms of physical health. And that is ultimately what you want to see. So being able to do things like mindfulness, um, getting therapy as well, and also like doing exercise, these are all factors that will help improve your HRV. And then ultimately what you want to see is this healthy and stable HRV score on a day-to-day basis rather than rapid or wild fluctuations on a day-to-day basis. That's very helpful. Thank you. And is, is there anything organisations can do to increase HRV among their employees? I'm just thinking that lots of organisations talk about um, prioritising the well-being of employees, but sometimes that can feel to the employees like that's just lip service. Is there something yeah. that organisations could practically do that would involve HRV? That's a good question. I think one of the first things and one of the great things that HRV would do as well is that allows organizations to actually know and quantify whether the intervention is actually working or not. It's all well and good saying that, oh, we care about the well-being of our staff. But then on a general level, on a company level, if you're seeing negatively trending HRV scores, that's an indication that your culture probably isn't right and there's something else going on in there as well. So whereas if you see the opposite, if you see stability or improvements, then it gives you an indication that the interventions you're providing do help. So from a company perspective, being able to provide strong, um, strong uh, care in terms of counseling is a big factor. So being able to provide those level of services, being able to provide like activities and sports being able to encourage that as well. These are factors that should allow you to see improvements in HRV. But then, like I said, it also just comes out to the general culture. If if you create a culture whereby people are like overworked and overstressed and they're working beyond the hours they're meant to, and they're having to like respond to emails in the middle of the night, these are all things that lead to general mental well-being and a decline in that as well. And what HRV will allow you to do is allow you to see that. But ultimately, it just comes down to the company and whether the company cares or not. That's it, a company can pay lip service. And then ultimately, if you don't really care, it almost doesn't matter what information that you see. But if you truly do care and you do generally want to see an improvement in your staff well-being, HRV is a great way of helping to quantify that in terms of the well-being of your of your staff and you know, the culture of your company as well. I was thinking it might make a nice alternative to lengthy staff surveys um, in terms of having something that that seemed to be more tangible, perhaps. Exactly, no, hundred percent agree. So one of the things is, and one of the great benefits of HRV is that, and we've seen that research, a lot of individuals often aren't honest 
when it comes to surveys as well. And there's loads of factors. Like when you have a long survey, individuals, for instance, might decide that, okay, this is a bit too long of a survey. I haven't got time for this. I've got work to do. And then they just answer and just move along quickly. And others might be a bit concerned in terms of how honest they can be in the survey. And then that will then influence the feedback that they're able to give. Whereas with something like HRV, like I said, it's very stupid convenient. Literally, all you have to do is just wake up in the morning. And as soon as you wake up, you spend 60 minutes in your bed with your phone in hand, recording the data, just being as relaxed as possible. And that's it. And after that as well, we ask um, five what we call confounding questionnaires. And these questionnaires are just to ensure what the stresses are. Because I stated beforehand, your body responds to stresses in the same way, whether it's emotional or whether it's physical. So we have to determine that, for instance, that how was your sleep last night or were you traveling on a plane that the night before? Because these are all factors in terms of stresses to your body. With that information, you're able to know and you're able to go through a process of elimination whereby, okay, it's not these physical factors. If it's not these physical factor, then it's almost certainly emotional factors as well. So it's just a very honest way and a very easy way of just getting like true insights into the culture and behaviors of a company without having to go through long surveys, which ultimately for them to be really accurate anyway, you need to do it on a daily basis. And as you can imagine, nobody wants to answer like a 90 or, or 40 minute survey every single day. It's just not going to happen. So, so while we're on the subject of, of using heart rate variability to evaluate and, and use it as a measurement of something, this is perhaps a good point for you, for you to tell us about your latest venture, psychogenics, and what, yes. what it's about and how it can be used in therapy. Yes, yeah, so, um, so psychogenics is interesting because it relates back to the first startup I spoke about. So the first startup was a completely different field. It was in the, it was in the orthopedic sense, orthopedic world, and it was a device. But we also collected heart rate variability because we're trying to use that to help quantify physical stresses and physical loads. What I noticed and what we noticed was that that HRV information was heavily influenced by the emotional well-being of the individual, which was funny because at that time, I didn't actually really care for that information. It was like, well, this is not helping us. Like the fact that this data is being influenced by your emotional state of well-being was actually making things difficult for us doing that startup. And then of course, I myself went through my own state of depression in 2018 and developed anxiety. But even through that process, I was still using our technology and I was still using um, HRV to, or for my own self to manage my own, um, my own state of well-being and my own self-regulation. And I noticed myself how my depression and my anxiety was leading to a rapid decline in my HRV. And that kind of what made me interested in terms of the psychophysiological topic in terms of HRV. I'd only, only ever really known it from a physical perspective, but I became a lot more interested in terms of its impact and its role from an emotional well-being perspective. So with psychogenics, what we are is that we are a platform, a what we call a biofeedback client management platform. And essentially, it's a way of collecting HRV without any additional hardware at all. So we turn a client's smartphone into what's called a PPG reader by using the camera, the camera lens, and the flash in the back of it. And rather than using additional hardware, we're able to collect HRV information in the morning. 
And the reason why we do it in the morning is because we are interested in using psychogenics as a way of monitoring day-to-day emotional well-being. So it isn't, it isn't an actual therapeutic intervention tool, but that's fine. It's meant to support whatever interventions that you provide and you're able to see the outcomes of that intervention on a day-to-day basis. How is this person actually living out the intervention you're providing to them on a daily basis? And, and yeah, it's as simple as that. It's a completely web-based application. You have a, a smartphone application, which once again, turns your phone into a PPG reader. But all that information is sent securely and safely to your therapist or to your and web dashboard as well, so you're able to see the information for all your clients. And you're able to see trends, are you able to see whether they're improving or whether they're declining or not, and you're able to intervene at the earliest stage possible. Thank you. And uh, and you've also you've already mentioned how that might be used to evaluate therapy and potentially predict predict risk. But a lot of our listeners work in forensic environments where it won't be possible for someone to have access to. A smartphone is there, are you working on any plans to um have something that doesn't require an internet connection yeah so we are working on offline solutions as well so in terms of other devices that can be used that doesn't require uh, an internet connection or at least a 24 7 internet connection it's always going to be advisable that as, as long as that day is one moment in a day it could be literally for 30 seconds where it can connect to the internet that is enough for it to send that information securely and safely to our to our cloud services as well, so it can be secured over there. But ultimately, it won't need to be twenty four hours. So we are working on solutions that provide for offline data recording as well. And and could one phone capture multiple people's data? So, for instance, a family, or for instance, if you had if you were if you're working on something that can be offline a lot of the time could that be used to um take capture the heart rate variability of numerous patients in a ward or uh people in other secure environments yeah it's definitely possible so um because each client has their own profile and they have their own login essentially it's just a case of logging out and having the a new user log back in and just go from there so yeah it's definitely possible to do so Thank you. Can I just ask, um, and I know I'm going to feel stupid when you give me the answer, which we all know. <laughs> what is PPG? So, oh, it's a... <laughs> it's the, for the plethy, even I get it wrong. It is, so I've always shortened that to PPG, but it is photoplethysmography. It is essentially, so when you go into the hospital and you see individuals on bed and they put a little clip Oh yeah, mm-hmm. that is what it is. So what it does is that it uses so those devices uses normally infrared light, although you can use other spectrums of light. Green is a particularly great one, but ultimately it uses light to see the blood flow on the individual's fingertips. So that's how you're able to get the heartbeat readings. So effectively, we kind of do the same thing with um, with a smartphone. So we just turn your camera lens and your flash into a PPG reader, so it's able to see the blood flow in your fingertips is able to know what your heart rate is, but more importantly enough, is able to know what your heart rate variability is. It does the calculations and then it, it both gives it back to the individual, but then also sends it back to the server where then you see it from the, from the dashboard as well. So it's right. photopathismography. 
that's a really good explanation and uh i'm glad you told me <laughs> yeah sorry apologies sometimes what happens is that you end up in this you're so deep in that you almost forget that sometimes some of these like terminologies are just kind of lost to most people i've just gone so used to just saying it on a day-to-day basis i do have to remember not everyone actually knows what ppg is well also working in forensics there are a million instruments which have initials uh, and it sounded like some forensic uh, measure <laughs> for ah, a moment yeah. no yeah not at all yeah so yeah it is photopathismography but um, but yeah it's such a mouthful that most people just say ppg so actually let's go back to the earlier question that i, I mentioned because you wrote a very magnanimous article on your experience of racism while trying to attract venture capital uh, and this is obviously a very big issue can you tell us why you think racism is a public health issue how does it affect the body yeah um thank you for referring to that article so um it was i tried to find a fine line or fine balance between writing a personal narrative and conveying my own personal experience but then also matching that with research and what the research shows as well so it's a fine balance between not quite a, a fully academic article but also a personal one as well and uh, it went through so the article is on the BACP website for those who don't know and it's called how the body absorbs racism and what I try to do is I contextualize my own experience of racism or microaggressive or microaggressions on a day-to-day basis and my experience on a particular moment when I was pitching to venture capitalists on stage and someone made uh, an interesting comment about me and, and I didn't know how to respond to that in front of everyone as well. And how, I just remember me driving back home on the, I think it was on the M4, my hands were just literally shaking as I was driving back. But like I said, it was, the whole purpose of that was to contextualize that, provide evidence that shows that racism actually has an impact on mortality as well. So as you can imagine that racism and experience of racism is a stressful moment. It's a stressful environment to be in. And what it then does is that, like with any type of stress, your body reacts in the same way. So your sympathetic nervous system gets activated and then it opens up all these hormonal and neural pathways within your body. So such as the adrenal glands, that the pituitary glands as well. And essentially it puts you in a state of what's called sympathetic dominance. So it's almost like, imagine you're constantly revving your car on a day-to-day basis. Every time you drive, you drive on a low gear pad, high speeds. That is what sympathetic dominance does. So because you are in a state of this fight or flight constantly, your body is always in a sympathetic dominance. Your body is always activating these hormonal, hormonal pathways, but your body isn't meant to do that on a daily basis. And what happens is that those who experience racism as well, they end up in this, they create like a, a defensive me- a mechanism whereby to almost prepare for racism or racist events, they almost become quite defensive. And um, so even before anything has happened after that, they remain almost in a somewhat sympathetic dominance environment. So it means that all these pathways are constantly being activated 
your adrenal your adrenal system is constantly being activated, pituitary glands constantly being activated, and these things can lead to things like adrenal fatigue. And ultimately, if you're constantly activating these pathways, because your body isn't meant to do so on a day-to-day basis, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, it, le- it does lead to impairments. And when it leads to impairment, it then does lead to mortality rates dropping as well. So the idea was to show that experiencing racism isn't just some kind of, and sometimes it's easy to dismiss it as just a, almost as just the experience. But while I try to say that it is, it is the experience, but it also has a direct physical link to the body as well. So it does impact your mood. It does impact your emotions as well. And yes, it does impact the body because ultimately the mind and the body are one. So if you're in a situation where you're constantly exposed to a hostile environment, all the research has shown that that actually leads to reduced mortality rates. And that was essentially the, the purpose of the article. And as I stated beforehand, was to contextualize everything. And in many ways to show how HRV as well can be used to give an indication if someone is in this environment because it's about sympathetic dominance. And that is also reflected in your HRV readings as well. Thank you. That's a very powerful uh, description. It Thank you. Remind, reminds me also of a conversation we had with Abdullah Mir um, last year, I think, who described something similar in different terms, of course, from yeah, of you. Course. But he, he was really describing how emotionally he was having to do twice as much work um, because he was yeah. carrying on the normal activities of being a human being yeah. and at the same time having to monitor and be on the alert for all these microaggressions that you yeah. you, you mentioned it's exactly that yeah so um so from a psycho um, physiological perspective that would be described as sympathetic dominance hmm. and ultimately like i said that has long-term implications on mental and physical health as well it was much extra load on the body, mustn't it, and, and brain, um, because, and not just emotionally, actually, just thinking about the extra cognitive load of having to screen and monitor and analyse at the same time as doing whatever other task you're, you're involved with. It's exactly that. And our bodies, we are not, we are not infinite beings. We have finite energy and we have finite resources. So being in that condition just constantly drags and pulls away from the resources that you do have so by the end of the day you end up feeling a lot more tired than you're meant to and now we know this has other impact in our actual daily life we might be a lot more irritable we might snap at all individuals we don't mean to it does have real life implications in terms of our own behaviors and how we interact with others around us we'll put a link to your paper in our show notes thank you at the end thank you you, you obviously have a very entrepreneurial flair. What, what's next on the cards for you? Or is, is that too far away for now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, as it, as it stands right now, the focus is all on psychogenics. And uh, we are focused right now in terms of just creating more research that supports. We're trying to just help support and push forward the, the topic of heart referability and its value to therapy, to all different types of therapies as well. So we are working with University of East London and the psychology school. And we also in talks with other organizations as well. And the idea is that hopefully, I mean, we had these plans, but as you can imagine, um, this little thing called COVID-19 had a lot of 
impact in terms of all the plans, but we're back on that again. And the hope is that we're able to create a lot more research, we're able to create a lot more insights and just release that information out and just help to push this narrative of hardware variability and just how valuable it can be to mental health in general. So, um, so that's, that's the main focus right now, is just to focus on psychogenics and to focus on this story and this purpose of what it is that we're trying to do. Is there any relationship between heart rate variability and oxygen levels? Uh, that's an interesting one. It's, um, I would have to look into that and get back to you on that one. I, I, I believe there is, but I don't know it off my head as it stands, but I do believe there is. But also, that's also a great research area as well to look into. Yeah, it was just with you mentioning COVID and obviously thinking about blood oxygen levels, which you think would have some implications for the heart. But obviously, people from BME communities were highlighted as being much more vulnerable, weren't they, during the, the pandemic? Yeah, yeah, 100% agreed. So, um, it, strangely enough, during the early stages, we did actually look in terms of applications for research in that space. And um, unfortunately, we, the, the, the technology wasn't really there yet for us to follow through on some of this research in terms of COVID. But um, yeah, it's something that would be, would be good for us to go back to and explore again, for sure. Finally, Lex, what, what do you do to ensure that your heart rate variability is at its healthiest? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a very good question. So um, yeah, I think I had to do a lot of things particularly to deal with the depression anxiety that I developed. So one was getting therapy, which was, I mean, I can't stress just how valuable it was. Um, just being able to understand why I do things, why I responded to a few things as well. It was enlightening for me as well. And it just released so much burden off my shoulders. So that is a massive factor as well. But um, I make sure I prioritize my general well-being. So I know particularly in the startup and business community, there's this hustle culture, hustle mentality that, oh, you're meant to spend all day or night working on your business. Um, I don't do that. I don't practice that at all whatsoever. For me, my well-being is my priority. So I always make sure I get as, lot, as much sleep as possible. So, um, so I try to relax before I go to bed. I spend some time in terms of mindfulness as well. Exercise is a big factor. So I try to do exercise in the morning at least four times a week as well so that's a big factor because when I physically feel good and when I'm physically in a good condition I mentally feel good as well so um so these are things that I just make sure I prioritize so I make sure I'm always exercising and I eat well but I also make sure I sleep well I practice my mindfulness training as well but I still get my therapy um every week as well Thank you, Lex. That was really helpful, very informative discussion. And um, I think you kind of offer a potentially new way for people to think about um, conducting evaluations, which we're very, very fond of within forensic <laughs> settings. No, it's, uh, I really enjoyed this. And um, if anyone has any questions, they can feel free to reach out to me directly. Uh, my email is alex at psychogenics.health or you can find me at Twitter, which I think my user handle is called Lex Unchanged, but I change it all the time. But, but I'm always happy to respond. Uh, I like to believe I'm a personable person. So feel free to just like reach out to me via LinkedIn or email directly. And I'm always more than happy to, to respond. Great. Yeah, you seem like a very personable person, Lex. It's Thank been you. a pleasure meeting with you. It's been a pleasure as well. Thank you so much for your time.